Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. And listeners, we're back at it for our weekly roundup. We missed you last week. We know that you know y'all are probably um, worried about us, thinking we may have gotten COVID or something. But nope, Devin and I, we're healthy and happy, still making it. Just had to take a quick little off week. But we are back at it for our weekly roundup number four. It's July 23rd of 2022 and plenty of news to get to. So, Devin, let's get right into it. Um, Listeners, you know, we got this new format. So we're going to get into our first segment here, which is our discussion format. And with our first topic, we're going to take you to Arizona. So um, as of Thursday, uh, Governor Greg Greg Ducey, Doug Ducey, signed a law that prevents citizens from recording police officers without their permission if he or she is eight closer. I'm surprised they didn't do six feet with COVID or something. The law also allows officers to demand a person to stop recording, even if the officer happens to be on an owner's private property. Failure to comply will result in a misdemeanor and possibly fine without jail time. Supporters say that citizens recording have risked the safety of officers or made it impossible uh, for sus or rather made it possible for suspects to escape. Reverend Jarrett Malpin, who is an activist in Phoenix, says that sometimes the victims and the bystanders have no choice but to be within the proximity that the bill now prohibits. The law will take effect in September. So, Devin, whenever I saw this, I was like, this is interesting because Whenever I think back to a lot of the police brutality that we've seen since the start of our podcast, you know, 2020, since, you know, all the police deaths, George Floyd, you know, the list could go on and on. A lot of these situations wouldn't have been, you know, viewable if people weren't recording, you know, if, if the people didn't have the permission to pull out their cell phones and hit record. A lot of these cases probably wouldn't have gone the way that they did because we wouldn't have had evidence and proof to see the you know, the eight minutes uh, of Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck. So it's just like, whenever I, whenever I saw this, I was like, I just feel that this is a, a step in the wrong direction because we've seen over the past two years that we need footage from citizens of what officers are actually doing. I mean, you do. It's, it's another level of accountability that the police are still really trying to grapple with um, that they probably if you ask them, don't like it. You know, the fact that their cell phone recordings are so pervasive now. And like you say, if this bill was say in effect in somewhere like Minnesota, where what happened in George Floyd was recorded, I don't, that person who recorded the video would not have been able to get not nowhere near as close as they were. So that could have changed that whole story. So, I mean, it's, it's a definitely a direct shot at, what we are seeing, which is, I think, an accountability that's being uh, applied to police that they don't appreciate necessarily. Now, I'm cognizant that there may be situations where, yeah, people may get too close and start recording and the police are maybe trying to apprehend somebody. They got the person on the ground, but they're also trying to push people back. Um, Those situations, of course, some, you know, a bunch of people filming while they're trying to grapple with somebody. Yes, it can get Hey, why you know it could go haywire? Maybe the person gets up and runs away because they're trying to deal with the bystanders. Yeah, it was not an episode of cops or anything. No, nothing like that. <laughs> but I, I, I understand it. But I would, I would submit that it doesn't happen nearly as often to warrant this law. Again, it's kind of like a lot of the legislation that we saw come out 
after, uh, you know, about CRT. Like these are solutions in search of a problem. And I feel like this is kind of the same thing. Like there isn't just this nationwide issue with people recording police and they're letting people, uh, they're, they're allowing suspects to go free because the police are just so um, caught up with trying to push people back. I don't think that's a problem that rises to the level. Essentially what I'm saying is we have bigger problems than people filming the police. I think the behavior of the police in these videos is the problem because if they were behaving appropriately, people would not feel the need to have to record their every move when they're in public and when they deal with someone in a traffic stop or they're trying to arrest them. So I think the fact that people feel the need to have to record their law enforcement officers or police officers is a bigger problem that the police don't seem interested in trying to fix. They would rather put their energy behind laws like this to stop people from recording rather than improve the, the ability of the police to deal with people in a proper way in a fair way where you don't violate their rights and they end up dying at the hands of you um, because they either weren't properly trained um, or just bad police officers that don't have any business being on the street. Yeah, and um, and uh, and I think that that's one of those things to where I, I wish we could have a debate about that, you know, about what officers should and shouldn't, you know, or people who should and shouldn't be officers. Because I think that that's uh, an interesting debate as well. Um, th- they, there's a little bit of leeway that I, I was reading into the article to see that you know a person may record if they're in a structure or a vehicle where it is more difficult to maintain that eight foot distance requirement or whatever. So I guess there's a little bit of leeway if you're in a structure or a vehicle, but you know, I, I I, above all, no, go, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say, I mean, I'm just curious of like, who, how is this going to be enforced? Like, is there going to be a, you know, like a tape measure? You know, once you get 7.9 <laughs> feet within the officer, like you have now, you know, broken the law or something. I don't um, know. Yeah, that's a great point. Cause it's like, you know, it's almost like one of those things to where, you know, if, if I'm speeding, there's a radar that you can, you know, say that you were going this, but I'm just like, mm-hmm. I can dispute how far I, I could say, hey, I'm actually eight and a half foot or, you know, what feet from you? Or, yeah. like, how do you, like, is, is the office, are they like maybe a part of their officer training? Everyone's going to have like a test where they get, you know, where they can do eight foot depth perception recognition or something. It's like, they're going to like make that a part of. Like, you know, they're going to, I guess they're going to start, you know, training them with like flags or something like this is what one foot looks like, two feet, three feet. So they'll just be able to detect that. You know, I don't, I don't know how they're going to enforce that. You're saying we need, we need more training for officers for depth perception, right? Okay. I I, I mean, (laughs) more training for a lot of stuff, but maybe not depth perception. Um, But I think what you said about accountability, that's the main thing. It's like our officers are public you know, servants or, you know, pr- you know, protectors of, you know, of safety and things like that. So we, we don't, we, we need to be able to hold them accountable. And what we've seen is that video footage holds them accountable um, because a lot of cases when mm-hmm. there's no video footage, it's, we, we just have to go on what law enforcement says. But now when we actually have proof, we, we've even seen it to where law enforcement even lies, but because of the video footage, <laughs> it's like, it, so, it disproves it. you know, I hope I hope Arizona is able to, you know, 
stop this before it goes into effect. I know, you know, governor's already signed it and, and you know, they're you know two months away from it going in full effect, but I hope that somebody's able to do something to this law. Yeah, hopefully so. I think it's just, you know, not going to help anyone in the long run. And again, it only makes that distrust between the public and the police that much worse. You know, it just looks like, you know, that relationship is just going to continue to be sort of fractured because, you know, it, it looks like the police still don't understand in some places that they have a credibility problem and that they um, need to be doing things to try to rebuild their trust with the, the public. But this is not going to help it. Uh, but we'll get off the police in Arizona. That's I think that's back to back episodes with Arizona. I feel like we had a story with them last time doing something foolish with the school system. Oh, they were giving out the vouchers to to private right. school students. That's what they were doing. So, <laughs> lots going on in Arizona. But um, we'll move to our next story here, which is not in a particular place, but is really more about the country as a whole when we're talking about diversity in our school system. So, despite an increasingly diverse student population in the country, many K through twelve schools still remain segregated. And according to a new 45-page report from the Government Accountability Office, between 2020 and 2021, more than a third of the country's student population attended a school where 75% or more of the student body were of a single race or ethnicity. And so just to make that point even further, 10 years of analysis found that when when schools sever ties with an existing school district to form a new district, that new district, on average, had roughly triple the share of white students, double the share of Asian students, two-thirds the share of Hispanic students, and one-fifth the share of black students. So, Adrian, I'm not super surprised. I think the school districts, uh, and particularly the schools, reflect the neighborhoods, which are, you know, I would say still largely segregated. <laughs> you know, we still have the black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods. It may be a little more intermingled when you move out into the some suburbs, but for the most part, the schools, I think, reflect the neighborhoods that are around them, which, you know, if it's a predominantly black neighborhood, it's going to be a predominantly black school. And I don't know what the solution is. Like, we're not going to go back to busing kids to different school districts. So, um, (laughs) you know, this, I don't know what the solution is here. Well, I, I, you know, it's one of those things to where I, I feel like the, the, I think the study is great because I think diversity is key. I think education is one of the places that as a student, you get to see diversity. Um, and it's a, a part where you get to learn about acceptance and tolerance and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so I think that it's important to have a diverse school, um, I don't think that it's something that you can fix because it's one of those things where it's about where population settles down. It's really hard to change that. It's, I mean, what are you going to do? Incentivize whites or Asians or blacks or whatever the race is to move into other neighborhoods where there's not as many of them as a minority. I mean, that is a policy that you could do. I mean, it's, um, I don't think that that's unethical or something like that. I guess there, you could do something to help to stimulate diversity in neighborhoods. But aside from giving some sort of housing grant to move in, to diversify a community, I don't really think you're going to be able to fix this um, just because people naturally 
you know, establish themselves around where they're comfortable. And we're generally more comfortable around people that we're familiar with that than people that are familiar to us or people that look like us. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things is just human nature. So I think until you start fighting against that with some sort of incentive, um, you're not going to correct it. And the other thing, it's like, you know, the, if what does this matter? What does this mean that it's not as diverse as far as how our schools are functioning? Um, is do our schools need more diversity to function better, or do they need, or is it you know? I think that the the report should definitely um, be analyzed more to take it a step further to see what this actually means beyond our schools are just less diverse because maybe this is why funding uh, isn't allocated properly because it you know maybe they should look at that and say. Does funding go to more white schools? Yeah. So maybe that's what we need to do to fix funding, diversify our schools. I think that last point is probably something a lot of people would agree with and say that that's part of why this is a problem. Because particularly, you know, in the story when it said that when, you know, a school breaks off from a school district and moves to form a new one, you have seen that a lot. And when you've You've seen that in the news before where these new districts are being created. You've seen certain uh, neighborhoods try to break off from areas. And when that typically happens, it is usually a, a, you know, a white majority area, school district, city or whatever that's trying to break away from a more diverse area that they're not happy with being a part of. And so, yeah, I mean, some of it comes down to the fact that we, we can't force people to live with each other we can't force people to go to school with each other because we we tried it with integrating the schools at the brown v board and essentially what happened is america just resegregated itself by you know going building more private schools and then all and then all we also saw more private schools but also some of these public schools were starting to break off from districts that they had been a part of and create their own districts which then made that, a, you know, a majority white. That's where we kind of saw um, really kind of under the surface. It was not in the huge thing you saw in the news if you really didn't pay attention to it. But over time, we did resegregate ourselves to where you see this report come out. And you're like, oh, you know, a, a half the students in the country go to a, a, a district or school that's 75% their race. <laughs> that's not what we intended. But, you know, like you say, is it a problem or should we really just continue to focus on performance of these schools and recruiting good teachers and evening out um, the funding models and making it fairer rather than relying on property taxes um, in these neighborhoods, you know, to fund the schools. Um, but that's a larger <laughs> conversation for another day. <laughs> that's, right, that's something that we're going to be probably discussing throughout the, our podcast. And, you know, that's going to be the, you know, education is going to be the cornerstone of any uh, political uh, administration that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. So we'll leave it at that. And we're going to get you to our last uh, discussion topic here. And this is about the food shortages that, that some farmers are starting to predict here, particularly black farmers. They're sounding off an alarm that Americans will soon find grocery store shelves empty if the federal government fails to intervene. National Black Farmers Association President 
John Boyle Jr., predicted that we're going to see empty food shelves in the coming months from a combination of American farmers unable to afford the cost of producing crops and the shortage of commodity production like corn and wheat from places like Ukraine. Ukraine, uh, we know that they're going through a war right now, so obviously they're probably not really focused on production of corn and wheat. Um, They were the world's fourth largest grain exporter last season, and the war has resulted in a global food shortage that is impacting Africa. In May, the White House unveiled a plan to assist farms and prevent food shortages. The plan includes cutting costs for farmers by increasing technical assistance for technology-driven precision agriculture and increasing funding for domestic fertilizer production. You know, I was just talking with somebody about how groceries are so have a grocery rates i feel like have gone up to where it's like you go and try to buy even when you're trying to buy cheap like i'll go to walmart and i'm buying like a protein and two veggies when I'm, I'm like buying chicken and two bags of frozen veggies to go like make meals and stuff like that and i'm mm-hmm. like even with doing that for a week and buying breakfast where i'll just buy eggs and some some sausage like i don't, I don't get fancy i just have eggs and sausage I have a meat and two veggies for lunch and dinner. And I'll still spend a hundred bucks or so at the grocery store trying to feed myself. And I'm like, I'm not even getting anything fancy. I'm just like, if you're really on a budget, you know, that's $400 a month. And I'm like, I'm the college student right now. I don't even have an income. And I'm having to spend $400 or more a month just to buy a grocery. And now we're talking about food shortage. And generally when there's shortage, prices go up because there's more of a demand. And, you know, so it's one of those things to where... Yeah, it's going to it makes me fearful of inflation within our grocery stores because we're seeing inflation. So many other uh, industries that Americans participate in groceries is the last industry that we need to see inflation in. Exactly. And the last place you want to see shortages um, because of what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, this is one thing where people say, why do we care about the war in Ukraine? This is one of the reasons why they were the world's fourth largest uh, exporter of wheat. And that's huge. The fact that they are now involved in a war and they can't export it because Russia is not allowing them. You know, they have like a naval blockade going on, so they can't export any grain um, using ships. And so that has led to a humongous uh, shortage in wheat. And now it's just now starting to touch us here. Um, and it's only probably going to get worse as the war drags on. We already have inflation here at home. So it's going to be a, I feel like it's going to be a really tough into the year. I'm hoping it's not as bad as people say it is. You know, when I first read this story, I was like, this sounds a little alarmist, you know, like we may just be trying <laughs> to scare people here, like no food on the shelves and things like that. Um, but, you know, with the, such high costs of like fertilizer and, the, just the price that it takes to, to to produce these crops going up, I'm like, well, maybe we could see, you know, some real shortages coming um, as we get into the, the fall and the winter. But hopefully, you know, the Biden team is on top of it. And of course, listeners, we'll keep you updated um, with any changes with it. But we know we feel it. Inflation is here. The war in Ukraine is, is, is involved in all of this. And so, um, I don't want to be like, go start buying water and food right now while it's cheap. <laughs> but, you know, maybe get maybe buy a little extra here and there for a rainy day because uh, there may be a storm coming. So that's right. And hey, if you if you care if if you care about black unity, you know, this is impacting Africa. So it's like you know, think about that and how 
Um, you know, we got we got to you know do something to you know get get better about this, and maybe I'm sure there's going to be some sort of global. I'm sure there is a global initiative right now to help with the hunger that's happening mm-hmm. right now because of the food shortage. So, hey, you know, at during this break that we're about to give you, Google something about that. Google something about how you can help out in the effort because I guarantee you there's something you can do. So, as I said, we're going to give you a break. So stick with us. We'll be right back. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are our foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work toward progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter using our handle at Black Agenda Pod. Again, at Black Agenda Pod. Now, time to get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our second segment, which is our quick updates. Make sure you pay attention. We're going to roll through these sort of quickly. It's called Quick Update for a reason. Um, But we want to start with our first story here is about the United Justice Coalition. So they are making a bold effort to bring like minds together in a way that has never been done before. Uh, The UJC is a think tank of experts whose mission is to raise awareness, share resources, and support organizations dedicated to social and racial injustice, economic advancement, education equity, and criminal justice reform. And so the United Justice Coalition will host a free, open to the public, unique social justice summit at Center 415 in New York City on Saturday, July 23rd, with some of today's leading activists, entertainers, and entrepreneurs for what they are going to be calling real talk and tangible solutions around the decriminalization of mental health, conditions of confinement, policing in America, and transitioning in and out of the criminal justice system and more. So um, UJC is trying to do some great work. So hopefully uh, this bears fruit. They will be meeting technically today when you'll be listening to this uh, Saturday, July 23rd. So if you happen to be in New York City and listening, maybe check that out. It's free and open to the public. Um, Another quick update here. Uh, Quickly, you might have heard President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. Um, they've left him with a raspy voice and a cough that he had uh, when he met on Friday via video conference with his top economic team. Uh, but the president has tried to you know, reassure folks that he is feeling much better than he sounds. And he completed his first full day of Pax, Paxlovid, which is an antiviral therapy treatment that is meant to reduce the severity of covid and they say that his primary symptoms were a runny nose, fatigue, and a loose cough. Um, also, never uh, heard a loose cough. I don't know what. That yeah, is. that was weird wording. <laughs> a loose cough. <laughs> What's a hard cough? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, Biden wasn't the only one to test positive this week. Democratic Representative Benny Thompson of Mississippi, who is also the chairman of the House Select Committee that is investigating the January sixth insurrection. He tested positive this week for COVID-19. Um, they announced that on Tuesday, and they said he's just experiencing mild symptoms. Um, Thompson's uh, test will not impact the January 6th committee uh, hearing, which was scheduled for Thursday. That went on as normal without him there. I think he video conferenced in, Adrian, but, you know, people are going to point to it and say, well, Biden was, you know, double doses of the vaccine. He had all his boosters, and he still got covid but again, we're all missing the point. It doesn't prevent COVID. It just stops you from 
getting really sick and possibly passing away, which I don't, at least from what it looks like, neither Benny Thompson nor Joe Biden are at serious risk of passing away due to COVID. Absolutely. And they're older, probably have some pre-existing conditions and stuff definitely. like that. So <laughs> you can, that's yeah, right, definitely with Biden, I'm sure. So you can say what you want to, but those vaccines help out. And, you know, hats off to the UJC. Hopefully they're able to use this, you know, their platform to do something. Um, you know, they're, they're raising awareness and probably raising money as well. So that's the main, you know, main two things, money and awareness. And, and, you know, uh, the black attorney general, Ben Crump is on the scene. So we know he's going to make some <laughs> magic happen. So, uh, some more updates. Let's take you down to Mississippi. This is about a police chief in Lexington, Mississippi. It's been fired after bragging about killing 13 people in the line of duty, including one black man. He claimed he shot 119 times, which just sounds crazy. Cause I'm just like, like, did you have like a salt rifle and you just had keep loading clip after clip? I just don't know. But, Sam Doppins was secretly recorded by Robert Lee Hooker, a black officer in the Lexington Police Department who resigned earlier this year, only days after joining due to toxic work environment. On the tape, Dobbins can be heard saying, I shot that N-word 119 times, okay, and using slurs towards gays and telling another officer, I don't give an F if you kill a mother effer in cold blood. So, I mean, this guy is terrible. He's a police mm. chief. Um, another interesting, uh, way uh, uh, more positive sort of news topic. Um, Black New- the Black News Channel has a new owner. Media mogul Byron Allen is reportedly buying it. According to the Hollywood reporter, Allen, founder, chairman, CEO of Allen Media Group, will acquire substantially all of the BNC's assets for $11 million. BNC, remember, we reported on this shutdown uh, this year in March. Um, but, Devin, that's some interesting things. That's terrible about that. I'm glad they fired that guy in Lexington, uh, and I'm glad Byron bought the BNC. <laughs> yes, uh, two two different stories on the end of the, you know, the spectrum there, but... <laughs> Glad, glad about they both. I guess yeah. Happened, glad about both yeah. of them actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> upset that they um, had this guy in Mississippi. Who knows how long he was on the force? I still just don't know about this hundred nineteen times. Like yeah, might like, have been a little hyperbole in there. Maybe right. Know, he's a white guy. That's probably up. showing. It's right. Trying. He's probably talking to some of his country club buddies. Yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, I mean, if he did kill a black man, regardless if he shot him once or 119 times, he had no business being, you know, chief of police anywhere. You right. Know? Talking and, so I and think, thinking like that. Exactly. I mean, you, you, you hear people get very comfortable when they don't think they're on camera or being recorded. So uh, I can just imagine if that little clip, that's what he said. Just imagine some of the other things he's probably said and done as police chief when people weren't looking. So mm-hmm. this is, you know, not to point to reasons why people don't trust the police, but this is why people don't trust the police, particularly. In hey, this like is another reason why we, you know? you know, if you're in Arizona, you couldn't do this. <laughs> no, it's probably a misdemeanor. You're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> not sorry, listeners, to laugh at it, but it's just I'm just saying this is why it, that law in Arizona is going to be terrible because you just you can't record people, you know. You can't, but um, we'll move on to our next story. So this um, next quick update is going to be about the dictionary and particularly the Oxford Dictionary. So Harvard University's 
Hutchins Center for African and African-American Research, which is led by Dr. Henry Lewis Gates and the Oxford, Oxford English Dictionary, they have now joined forces to compile the Oxford Dictionary of African-American English. And so Vanguard reports that John Bow, who is the president of the Linguistic Society of America, told Atlanta Black Star that the research project has the potential to eliminate long-held negative beliefs that African-American vernacular English is unintelligent. Um, so I'm interested to see what this dictionary is going to have um, in it. So uh, we'll definitely buy a copy when it comes out. Our next quick update is about your favorite, well, it could be your favorite candy, Skittles. Uh, if you eat Skittles, you might be... <laughs> I want to think twice. So a California man has filed a lawsuit against Mars, which is the candy company that makes Skittles, claiming it broke a 2016 promise to stop using titanium dioxide in its products. The food additive is also used in paint, adhesives, uh, plastics, and rotting materials, or roofing materials, sorry. And this is according to the Mercury News. They say it can cause brain damage and liver lesions and even harm to DNA. But Mars has yet to respond to the lawsuit. So there you go, Adrian. We got a you know African American dictionary coming, so that the rest of the country can figure out what we're saying. I guess. <laughs> um, you know. You know, it's the the. Uh, I was reading the article. It says the Oxford Dictionary of African American English will include the meaning, pronunciation, spelling, usage, and history of each word and phrase. And each entry will be illustrated by quotations taken from real examples of black language in use. So <laughs> it sounds it sounds interesting. Like I definitely will want a copy of it just to see. Uh, it's it's like it, it's it almost feels like one of those things where it's gonna be like a weapon for white people to be like, you know. Oh, Y'all you got your own dictionary, you know. Like, oh, you know like, it. They are seething. Yeah, I'm sure it's it's one of those things where they're you know they're gonna use it against us and be like you know this is you know this one you know, more thing to separate we're... yourselves like right exactly they're gonna be like this is why y'all always bring race into it or they'll be like well we're not gonna <laughs> use that dictionary we're still using the the, the regular dictionary you know, we're gonna be the, the the irregular dictionary basically look that that'll end up on the list of banned books in Texas. <laughs> 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 They're probably out. It comes out. (laughs) That's critical race theory, Devin. So you know you can't have that in Texas and Florida. You know that's. (laughs) I'm glad you said that because you know that's going to be banned. It's because it's it's you know starting. It's going to make white people feel bad. White students going like, can we have a white dictionary? You know, no. Just go to the regular dictionary. Uh, I wonder if, I, I know this is off topic, but I wonder if they will put uh, the N-word in there and put the African-American definition of that word and how it's used. I wonder. That's the one word you I know, was like. I wonder if they'll put it in there. I, that's a that's actually a great question. I mean, I would hope that they wouldn't. But at the same time, I know how powerful it is in the historical sense of the actual, you know, the hard R and then the right. soft A. I'm both of them have, you know, historical significance, but I hope that, you know, they don't do that because I feel like that'll give everybody permission. They're like, well, it's in the dictionary. To use it. <laughs> to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
They'll be in class trying to sound it out and use it in a sentence, and they don't have <laughs> like, illustrate like racist. I mean, it's going to be illustration. So, what are you going to show? For, you, know, you know, for that, you're going to show like a group of black men together, like hanging out with sagging yeah. pants, or like you know, what are you like? How are you going to illustrate? Well, that? they'll have you know two two. They'll have a group of black men, and they'll just be like, "Oh yeah, that's my nigga," or you know, yeah. that's. My, <laughs> You know, <laughs> you. and I was saying, this, this is, is how I use in a sentence. <laughs> yeah, this is the pronunciation, usage in a sentence. You know, this is what you do to make sure no one's offended. You know, this is a bunch of different tips. If you're this color of skin, you probably shouldn't say it. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, extra helpful hints and stuff. You know, but let's let's yeah. go to our last thing here. This is actually a really really great thing uh, because we've talked so much in our podcast about mental health. We know that the pandemic, you know, COVID, you know, inflation, everyone's going through something to where mental health has been a thing. Uh, and we know there's a lot of people that probably feel left out and alone. So this is a cool thing that they're doing for suicide prevention right now. On Saturday, which is that, which is today, the Vibrant Emotional Health, a nonprofit that operates the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, launched the 988 dialing code available to everyone across the United States. The dialing code to reach a lifeline has been 1-800-273-TALK which will remain operational during the current expansion to 988. Text messages can be sent to the three-digit number as well. Veterans can now dial 988 and press 1 to reach the veteran crisis line. So really cool situation there. If you feel the need uh, you know, to call them, don't you know, do that. I mean, it's easier now. Uh, we've talked a lot about how mental health is something that you shouldn't be embarrassed by particularly with suicide, this is one of the things that, you know, and I don't know how people get to this point um, because I don't think I'll ever feel the need to commit suicide, but I can understand why a lot of people do it um, because this world is, it's hard and it can make you feel like you are being chewed up and spit out all the time. So if you feel that way, you know, 988 is a solution for you. But Devin, any, yeah, go ahead, Devin. I'm not bad. I didn't. I was <laughs> no. You you were like fine I took to, us in to... a different direction. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 a great you know a a great story to to end on. Uh, it's a topic that is you know mental health is getting a lot more attention now, and so we just wanted to make sure we let the listeners know um, you know help is is now three digits away, whether that's a text message or a phone call. Um, somebody will be there on the other end to talk you through whatever you're going through. So hopefully, you know, don't be afraid to reach out, you know, if you're having these thoughts of feeling like it's not worth being here. So um, we're all here for a reason. So uh, if you need the help, 988 is now the new code or new lifeline now if you, you know, should need that help. But uh, we'll go ahead and take our last break and we're going to get into our quick hits. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to the Black Agenda podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know. Before you go, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. So sit back and listen well as we get back into the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into our quick hits section. You know, I feel like throughout the episode we've been throwing in comedy it's almost like our thing now but 
guess we're just some funny guys, but this is our actual funny section where you can, you can feel right by laughing. Sometimes you might feel guilty <laughs> laughing about other sections throughout the podcast, but this is okay to laugh at. So our first story is actually taking you to where I am. I'm actually in, well, I'm not in Greenville, but I'm in North Carolina right now. And this is in about Greenville, North Carolina, where a woman who found a bear climbing on the back deck of her North Carolina vacation home says she used her teacher voice to chase the animal away. Her name is Debbie Tomlinson. Is, is, is Mike Tomlinson? Is that, you know, Steelers? You know, maybe that, or is it Mike Tomlin? Tomlin? What's it? Okay, Tomlin. Okay, I couldn't. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. Yeah, it's close. I was like, was that a relation? Uh, <laughs> who used to be a teacher in Greenville County, South Carolina, she, uh, said she was uh, at her South. She was in Sapphire, North Carolina. And she was at her condo where her husband alerted her that a bear was climbing on the back deck. Uh, her video of the encounter, which she posted on YouTube, shows her talking to the bear through a window and telling it to leave. This is a quote. This is what she said. She says, what do you think you are doing on my porch? <laughs> she, she wanted to say, you get up, go, go. How dare you? <laughs> Tomlinson said to the bear in the video that she used her teacher voice to show the bear that she meant business. She said, it works every time. I wasn't afraid. I just didn't want to lose my feeders. It was very exciting. Um, I like the how dare you. Um, and what do you think you're doing on my porch? <laughs> As if the bear has some sort of ability to reason and or respond to that. It's like, it's like I'm yeah. just here to get some food. Like, yeah. hey, I'm just stopping by. <laughs> <laughs> from the video it looked like a smaller bear so thankfully you know it was probably like a baby bear who would respond to you know a teacher's voice otherwise yeah. this situation would have gone completely different i was thinking the same <laughs> thing like um i don't think you know because i i just watched the show on netflix called alone so they're like in the wilderness by themselves it's these contestants on the show and they were in like this grizzly bear nature area so they have a lot of grizzly bears and like these things are massive so i'm like if this was like any old grizzly bear that's just on your porch uh they, they don't care you can use your teacher voice your inside voice the outside they don't care they're gonna do what they want to do but she got a little baby bear i guess he was like all right fine you know since you want your feeders i'm actually said it was exciting though <laughs> i'm like what what part of that was exciting <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, I guess she was, you know, it's the thrill. It's that, you know, the adrenaline's she pumping. Yeah. She's, you know, she was like, man, this is working. I can't believe it. Probably. I mean, I know she says it works every time, but that's probably because she's at a you know, majority white school or something. She, <laughs> it's questionable. <yeah. laughs> she goes to somewhere like where I, you know, where I worked like around in Memphis or something like that. You probably can't just use a teacher voice to get the kids to settle down. That ain't enough. <laughs> uh, that's not enough. You need a little, a little extra on that, but <laughs> we'll move on from the teacher voice. Uh, we're going to go to uh, California where experts are now talking about what could be one of the most notorious jewelry heists in history that happened uh, this month. And so, um, you know, some people talk about some of the biggest jewelry heists we've seen, which is, um, apparently, the Hatton Garden in London was robbed. Uh, Antwerp, Belgian break-in that took months of planning. 
but we're going to talk about the case of the heist that happened earlier this month at the Flying J truck stop along Interstate 5 in the Grapevine, which is in California. And so in, in the early hours of January 11th, two armed guards left their Brinks truck and they left it there and they gave this gang of thieves a 27 minute window which is a lifetime if you're a criminal and you're trying to rob people 27 minutes is a long time to get to pick through what you want to steal um and in that 27 minutes they were able to steal between 10 to 100 million dollars worth of jewelry and they were able to bypass the truck's trailer locking mechanism they went into the back and they unloaded a series of storage containers filled with jewelry, diamonds, other precious gems, and a plethora of Rolexes and designer watches. And we're talking about, Adrian, they were they were saying insurance for Brinks was saying it was less than $10 million. But some of the experts that they actually talked to in the story were saying this could be closer to $100 million that they actually stole and got away with. And that wasn't everything that was on the truck. So... Uh, just to finish the story off, Arnold Duke, who is the president of the International Gym and Jewelry Show, uh, whose exhibitors displayed the items that were actually stolen, um, he said they were moving these the jewelry from San Mateo, where they had a show, and they were moving them to Pasadena, where they were going to be hosting the next show. Uh, I think it was this weekend. And in total, there were 15 exhibitors who each had 5 to $10 million a piece in merchandise. So you just do the math there. You're talking almost $150 million worth of jewelry. And they took, you know, 10 to $100 million. They think it's closer to $100 million. I mean, golly, I don't even know what, what they thought when they walked up there and were able to stay in that truck for 27 minutes. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty <laughs> insane. It'll be on Netflix in a couple of years, but like, that's yeah, wild. I'm, whenever I think about that, I'm just like, usually those trucks are like, you know, you can't just, you know, get into one yeah. of those trucks. Those are like, you know, armed guards <laughs> to the T, they're bulletproof and everything. Yeah, you, they got you know, tracking you see technology on the, and everything. Right. I mean, you see on the movies how hard it is to break into those things. You're just like, nah, you're not going to ever get into this. And these guys had 27 minutes because two guards just... I, I want to know what happened to the two guards. Uh, surely they got fired or at least put on suspension or maybe they were part of the uh, robbery. I'm like, they were probably told these <laughs> gang, like, hey, we're about to go and on lunch break. You got 27 minutes. You know, here you go. Here's the keys. I mean, it's because, I mean, what are the odds? Because at least in what I can tell from, you know, these uh, Brink vehicles, they're usually not just left alone because they have, expensive stuff and i mean it's diamonds and you know gems and stuff i'm like, Alexis, okay, like you know, hats i mean off to the guys i guess i mean they took it i wouldn't endorse uh you know violence or committing any crime but i mean if you're gonna do it i mean i guess they seized upon the opportunity and you know <laughs> they're they the they, best of the best they they did i mean it probably was you know meticulously planned I think in the story they they were the what they're thinking is that they probably tracked the truck from San Mateo when it first, you know, loaded up all of the merchandise and they probably tracked it on its way to Pasadena, waiting, I guess, for the moment where they actually left it. Um, but again, I'm like with with that kind of, you know, merchandise, somebody inside had to have known gave that information to them. Somebody was working on the inside because you don't just randomly walk up on a big rig and just know 
has a hundred million dollars worth of jewelry inside. <laughs> you know, it's just a right. Trash. I mean, come yeah. on, like that's insane. It's, they, it's like they just either they got lucky or this is like an inside job. I don't know. Somebody somewhere is extremely rich right now. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's move to our next story here. This is, I don't know, I guess we just keep going back to Arizona. We're sorry. I don't we don't mean to keep talking about Arizona like we did Texas and Florida. I know they must be. Uh, but this is out of Jerome, uh, which is population of about 450, was once home to one of Arizona's largest copper mines and is now a hub for artists. Tourists take in its scenic views and visit stores and bars along the winding mountain road that passes through it. But Jerome police said on Facebook this week that, quote, has come to our attention that people visiting our town on short visits and using lawful short term parking passes are being yelled at or having notes left on their cars by local residents, end quote. Police in this old Arizona mining town that they get about a, a one million tourists annually, and like I said, population of four hundred and fifty, but they get a million tourists annually, were warning residents to stop yelling at visitors or they could face harassment ch- charges. Residents who think that people may have violated parking regulations were asked to contact the police instead of yelling. You know, it's interesting. <laughs> interesting that you you know, have to you know have a situation like this. I guess I, you know, whenever I read it, I was like, yeah, it's a small town, four hundred and fifty. It's not even major news, but I was just like, it's funny news. It's like you know, one, I'm just shocked that they're they get this many tourists because they probably don't even have a lot of hotels and you know stuff like that to have mm-hmm. house all these people. And then I'm just like, I'm just picturing you know. Some you know grandma that lives there that's part of this four hundred and fifty who like you know she's got her one spot in, at the grocery store that she just loves to park at you know she, that, that one spot is her spot and people and probably respect her they happen to be in it because they're just you know getting some water to go into the mountains or whatever and she's just you know she probably wrote them a mean note or something. Get out of my parking spot. <laughs> just like, that's what went through my head like a city full of Karens I guess you know. No, we need Ricky him. Smiley on here to you know do his his little grandma voice. Yeah, <laughs> but I can see it's, it's something, you know, something like that where you know small town life, and you get all these people coming in who are upending it. You know, yeah, if they took your parking spot, it is probably the end of the world because you don't get much action in that town. So. <laughs> you used to the same thing every day, same old, same old. Yeah, so I'm sure this is like hell on earth. While all these people here, but uh, we'll move on to our next story, uh, which is about Bass Pro Shop. So if, if, if you shop from there, you might want to listen a little closer. But there is a Missouri man who is uh, bringing a class action lawsuit against Bass Pro because he says that the outdoor outfitter is refusing to honor its lifetime warranty on socks. So Kent Slaughter of Springfield said that after years of exchanging his redhead lifetime guarantee, all-purpose wool socks every time they wore out the springfield-based company changed its policy in 2021 before he tried to return four pairs of socks and so instead of getting another pair with a lifetime warranty slider said he was given socks that only carried a 60-day warranty this is according to the springfield news leader and so a bass pro representative said the company won't comment on pending litigation 
The lawsuit says Bat said Bass Pro is misrepresenting the socks in its ads because it says they are quote the last sock you'll ever need to buy end quote because of the lifetime warranty. Now, see, Adrian, when I was reading the story, I was like, this guy's crazy. Like, come on, you had years of being able to exchange socks and they just so happened to change the warranty. But if you're going to, as a company, if you're going to have an ad out there that's going to say this would be the last sock you ever buy because it has a lifetime warranty when it really doesn't, that is false advertisement. Like, yes, <laughs> that's false. <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I if you got. That's true. If you're gonna if you're gonna tell me I have a lifetime warranty, and if I'm using these socks, I mean clearly this guy was using these he's socks. You know, like this, these are his socks. I mean, these is, <laughs> he probably wears these to church on Sunday. I mean, these are his socks, and they're telling him <laughs> that you can't use your warranty anymore. Like I, I'm, I would definitely sue. I would, I'd be like, y'all have to do this. Like you I'd told me, I'm like this is. It's a matter of principle. You gave me a promise, and in America, promises mean something. I'm just... <laughs> no, I'm meant to be. <laughs> well, this is a funny but, thing about promises. They always tend to get broken, but you know, it's, you <laughs> I don't know. It's, uh, that is that's the American dream. You know, it's you know, there there was a promise yeah. of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but you know. We see how that ended up here in America, but yeah, we should. That's that's probably what Bass Pro told that guy. It's like you know, you can't always get what you want here in America. It's like you know, hey, we're giving you, know? you socks, so just be thankful that you you got to use them for the last thirty years. You know, we just you probably should have told him gas prices are high right now. We just can't can't give you a lifetime supply of socks anymore. It's just. We can't afford it. I mean, it's they should have just honored it because it wasn't like he was bringing back. 12 pairs of socks. I mean, he only had like four pairs, I think, or two or four pairs. So it wasn't that many. So it's like, come on, man. Y'all could have just let him continue using his warranty and not make it a big deal. It's not worth all the negative. He should win, though, because if, if it's a he lifetime should. warranty, you know, the last socks you'll ever need to buy. It's, I mean, come on now. That sounds like to me, I don't need to, I don't need to buy any more socks because you're going to supply my needs for the, you know, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> You know, let's let's do it. So, right. <laughs> uh, let's let's go to something else here. You know, I, I hope everybody knows that Herschel Walker is is not the brightest bulb, um, not the not the sweetest berry in the bunch. You know, I don't, there's probably a bunch of different metaphors and analogies I could come up with, but there's a lot of things that Herschel Walker is not. Is not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't be a Senate candidate, but unfortunately, yeah. So Republican uh, <laughs> Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker has left people scratching their heads with his recent comments about climate change. During a recent campaign event in Georgia, Walker said, quote, so what we do is we're going to put from this Green New Deal millions or billions of dollars cleaning our good air up. So all of a sudden, China and India ain't putting nothing in there cleaning that situation up. Don't know what he meant, but he continued, quote, so all with that bad air, it's still there. But since we don't control the air, our good air decides to float over to China, bad air. So, <laughs> so when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good airspace, and now we've got to clean that back up. 
<laughs> he, he added, since we don't control the air, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. So it moves over to our good air space. And, you know, I, I just... I, I just I don't know how I don't know if he understands science at all and I mean that's definitely not how climate change works and I mean I get what he's talking about because there is like air pollution is a global thing and but it doesn't work in the sense of like good air bad air or like air quality shifts like that I mean I, I get if he would have said pollution like gets carried over mm-hmm. I would have I would have been okay with that because that's that's true but good air bad air <sighs> come on i you know i think it's one of those situations where you know how you start talking and saying something and then somewhere along the way you get lost and where you what point you were trying to make and where you were trying to go with it and i think he just got lost on good air bad air in china and he was just trying to explain that to people and then couldn't figure out i don't know what point he was trying to make like is he saying that we clean up our air here, so then our good air is going to float its way across the Pacific over to China, and then that means their bad air is going to shift to... I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> the winds don't even... I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, and I mean, I, that's what it sounds like. And I'm hoping this is not like, you know, just a whole fundamental misunderstanding of how climate works, and how weather works, and climate change, or... You know, it, it reminds me of like how people talk about Kamala talks to people like they're stupid. Um, I'm like, is this a moment where he thinks people are too dumb to understand how the Green New Deal is maybe not good for us and that China and India are still the world's biggest polluters, regardless of what we do to clean up our air? That would have been a much better point. But he got somewhere lost in China. It was like he was talking to kindergartners trying to explain climate change and, <laughs> and he failed at that. So. I, <laughs> I mean, he definitely failed at a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, that's just one of the things. I, I'm, I'm hoping that he fails at you know, his Senate race, which polls are indicating he will. But you know, yeah, hopefully those polls add up to actual votes and results. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some good voters will go over to Raphael Warnock, and the bad voters will go over to Herschel Walker. I don't know. If it works like that but um <laughs> <laughs> that's it listeners so try to control your good air you know if you're out there doing your part and cleaning up the environment just know your good air can be going other places <laughs> um, but we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the show so that's it that's our quick hits that's our quick updates and our discussions a jam-packed show as usual um and so before we get out of here we do have some notes for you so uh, first up, you can look forward to hearing our next episode that features a guest uh, that'll be coming to you next month. And we're going to be talking about uh, mass shootings and the epidemic our country is continuing to face when trying to curb this uh, mass gun violence. And so we're going to be talking to Dr. John R. Lott Jr. Uh, he's an economist, a world recognized expert on guns and crime, and he's also the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. So we're going to be talking to him next month about mass shootings so make sure you tune in for that it's gonna be another great conversation also you can donate to us we have our charity of the month and adrian's gonna go ahead and promo those and let you know how you can help us out and let you know who the charity of the month is 
Absolutely. You know, donating to us is a really, really charitable cause. So we appreciate you doing that. We know how much you like what we're doing. And by donating, it helps us out. So go ahead and go to our website and click the donate tab there. But the easiest thing to do is just on the timestamps, there's a donate tab. All you got to do is click there. You can also go to Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Blackage in the Pod. However you do it, get there. Make sure you do it. whatever you want to do. It's a monthly contribution that goes to Devin and myself to make sure that we can make this, the Blackage in the Podcast, available to you. So make sure you do that. Like I said, the timestamps or go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Pod. The other thing is our charity of the month. Remember, this month has been about single parents. Um, We're talking about the Single Parent Project. They work to help single parents who make too much for government assistance, but not enough to thrive. They offer a variety of services like financial assistance for day-to-day expenses like utilities, rent mortgage payments, gas, groceries, childcare, and car repairs. Once they offer that financial assistance, they offer a variety of other resources to help single parents better their financial, personal, and emotional well-being. So it's a really, really cool organization. Like I said, it is the Single Parent Project Go check them out exactly make sure you help them out help us out we all appreciate it and lastly um make sure you check out blackagendapod.com we're going to have some new uh, news articles that are going to be coming out we have a couple waiting um so make sure you check out blackagendapod.com and also make sure you follow us on social media at blackagendapod and so that is it for me and adrian we'll be back next saturday june uh, july 30th for another weekly roundup so make sure you join us then. So until then, for me and Adrian, we appreciate you staying with us and listening. We'll catch you next time.